Please be seated. Alleluia, Christ is risen. The Lord is risen indeed. Alleluia. But what if it's not true? What if the Lord is not risen? What would that mean? A friend of mine told me the other day that he counts himself an intellectual dinosaur because he believes in a dead carpenter walking out of a tomb. As we talked, I said I wasn't absolutely certain how I pictured this event at this point in my life, but we agreed that we weren't quite sure about Matthew's description of tombs being opened and the dead being raised as an earthquake shook the whole earth at the time of Jesus' death on the cross. But we were in complete agreement about this, however, that the way in which we each imagine the events of the first Good Friday and Easter morning, how we conceptualize these events in our imaginative, the imaginative universe that we each inhabit, how we picture what happened is not actually the point. We agreed about that. I spent a lot of time in my modernist and relatively literalist youth wondering whether miracle stories were true, whether there was any sense in which these things actually happened. This was a world, for those of you who've been around for a while, You'll remember this is a world shaped by Bishop John Robinson's book, Honest to God, from 1963, and it had caused a huge furor because one of the newspapers in England put a, put a, a review under the headline, Our Image of God Must Go, and the faithful were scandalized because the book did things like question whether heaven was up there or not, and, and stuff that really uh, seemed strange to us but was real then. By the time I was in high school, and choosing to be Christian, the furor du jour was a collection of essays with the self-explanatory title, The Myth of God Incarnate. And this book was attempting to argue that our idea of myth as something opposed to truth was a misunderstanding of myth, that myth was something that contained and revealed truth. But that did not stop someone who was irate and harumphing coming out with another book immediately called The Truth of God Incarnate, saying how wrong the mythologists were. Wrong, 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 wrong. Now, for my part, I've taken great comfort from John's Gospel and its use of the word signs to talk about what we generally talk of as miracles, with the idea that these signs, like the water into wine or even the raising of Lazarus, are to point us toward real faith, real trust in God beyond such pictures and stories. But even so, for me, the resurrection of Jesus has been something that I've imagined in various ways over the years, but never in a way that has caused me to think it was anything other than a completely unnatural intervention of God into history. I've railed against reducing this earth-shaking event, and with that I'm with Matthew. It's really and truly earth-shaking and should not be reduced uh, to images from the natural world. Images of chickens emerging from eggs, a butterfly from its chrysalis, and the general renewal and fecundity of spring reflected in that marvelous, cuddly Easter bunny. <laughs> but it occurs to me that I could be wrong, that perhaps this is a more natural event than I've imagined. Maybe when we hear about Jesus comparing his death with a seed that must fall into the ground if it is to bear fruit, maybe for him and his time that was as unnatural and miraculous and mysterious as anything. 
See, we know that our imaginative and conceptual universes do change, and they have to change, and that when they do change, all kinds of previously unthinkable or even unimaginable things become possible. So Galileo changed how we saw ourselves in the universe, and Einstein shifted our view of reality and matter with huge consequence, thinking of time as waves or sheets rather than as straight lines has made all kinds of new inventions possible, like the little computers that we carry around in our pockets. And every one of these imaginative or conceptual shifts has challenged prevailing views and norms in theology, and every one of them has therefore been resisted by powerful parts of the Christian world because they are somehow going against God. They're somehow uprooting the, the ways in which we are trying to get everyone to conceptualize the universe, and they're messing with us, and they set up a false dichotomy, therefore, between science and religion. Within an imaginative universe of purely linear time and history, and a reading of these stories within that universe, it made sense to do what the faithful did for a while, which is bury clergy when they died with their heads to the east, their arms crossed, chalice and pattern at the ready, and the laity were buried with their feet to the east because Jesus was going to come with the sunrise and we would all pop up out of the graves and the clergy would be ready to give communion to their people. <laughs> now we laugh because it's silly in our imaginative universe, but it wasn't silly. They were no, no less or more faithful than we are. It was a faithful expression of trust in God's extraordinary capacity to bring life even out of death and our imaginative worlds do change and they have to change I made a similar move that was quite painful for a while in my own life when I stopped thinking about God and prayer and the way in which God works as a kind of cause and effect deal in which I would put in my request to God and might or might not get an answer you know, rather like requesting a train ticket or something and seeing whether the chap had had a good breakfast. I mean, it was, it sometimes worked and sometimes didn't work. And, and after a while, I couldn't do that anymore. And somehow started to, was taught to think about the divine economy more as an ecology. And what we do with our prayer is more like throwing a stone into a pond and changing the whole environment. Uh, and it's much more like that than it is like requesting a train ticket. But that change was costly, and it took time, and something had to die. And, and my ways in which I accessed a sense of the reality of the divine had to shift. And so such conceptual changes can seem like death, or at least like a loss of faith in the first instance, especially to any of us or to a church that has in general not yet made the shift. And that is perhaps why the resurrection in Matthew's testimony is both fear and joy to the disciples but it made the guards at the tomb shake and become like dead men they were part of the power system and the power to determine matters in the world and to define the conceptual universe and to control the shape of the imaginations of humanity were being taken away from them just as it is sometimes taken away from religious authorities when there's a profound shift in the way we view the world. 
So I've started wondering what would it mean to my faith, if anything, if I discovered that resurrection is in some sense a natural process. What if this business of parallel universes has something uh, to, to it? What if our hope for a new creation comes from some such idea? Would that make a difference in my ability to proclaim trust in God or belief in the resurrection? The answer is it would certainly make some kind of difference. When I first started understanding that matter is not stuff as much as it is energy in relation, that really made a very positive difference to how I understand how God creates and relates as one God in Trinity and all of those sorts of things. But would discovering the resurrection to be a natural thing rather than an unnatural intervention of God make a difference in my more fundamental trust in God's redeeming, transforming love for all of creation? And the answer has to be no. No, it really wouldn't. It would make no more difference to me than, than discovering that uh, a blind man did not suddenly see in a literal sense. I don't know why some of us are predisposed to see life as impregnated with possibility, to see uh, life as opportunity and God as a reality, where others of us, and maybe we're here and maybe we know people, who can only see a kind of fatalistic determinism, for whom the idea of God makes no sense, who are just sort of closed to that possibility, and so get angry when things seem unjust, and that anger just sits there and lives within them in some way, ultimately leading to despair. See, at some level, this business of imaginative world, the one in which we inhabit, certainly is conditioned by our education, our upbringing, but it also includes choice, and maybe even conversion, even when things are very difficult. I, on Friday, I cited the testament of a Jewish man in the Warsaw Ghetto in 1943. He wrote, I believe the God of Israel, even when he has done everything to make me cease to believe in him, God has hidden his face from the world. I will put the sheets of paper on which I am writing these lines into an empty bottle, and I will hide it here between the bricks in the wall beneath the window. And if anyone should ever find them and read them, he will perhaps understand the feeling of a Jew, one of millions, who died abandoned by God. Who died abandoned by God, in whom he so deeply believes. Some would consider such a choice insane. For others, people blessed with the capacity to trust God, see the possibility of making meaning even in the face of death. What is overcome in the resurrection of Jesus and the promise of resurrection for each of us is not so much death itself. We're all going to die just as Jesus died. It's part and parcel of his being fully human. What is overcome is more the power of death in our imaginative worlds. See, we can choose to believe that death is not the last word in life, is not the limit, is not our horizon, is not our end. And so we open up the possibility of a world in which love is the most important thing. 
that is in giving that we receive and become more free somehow and more generous and in service that we find freedom. And when we die to ourselves, we find that we're granted life in abundance in ways we could not even imagine. I choose to believe that the most important thing in death, in life, is not death, but it's love. And I choose to do it in part because we tell this story every year, over and over, the old, old story. And so I choose life, and I choose love, and I choose to say yes, death has lost its sting, and love has the victory, and you can choose that too. And join with me in saying without reservation that I believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Alleluia. Christ is risen. The Lord is risen indeed. Alleluia. Alleluia.